Hi, this is Jerry Conway. Welcome to Amazing Spider Talk, round two. Welcome to the Amazing Spider Talk. My name is Dan Gavazdan, and I'm the editor of SuperiorSpiderTalk.com. And I'm Mark Chinacchio, the editor of the Chasing Amazing blog. Thanks for joining us for our newest special episode of Amazing Spider Talk, where we're going to be discussing the Amazing Spider-Man 2 movie. Yes, this is going to be a lot of fun, Dan, because in this episode, not only are we talking about the Amazing Spider-Man 2, but we're going to be joined by a very special guest to talk about the Amazing Spider-Man 2. Uh, that guest is none other than the great Jerry Conway, amazing Spider-Man writer, also wrote Web of Spectacular and tons of other comics over the years. But uh, Jerry, of course, is responsible for the death of Gwen Stacy. So uh, I think his uh, his choice to talk about The Amazing Spider-Man 2 is appropriate, don't you think, Dan? Yeah, and we apologize for getting this thing out so late after the fact of the movie, but we were waiting for Jerry, and uh, I hope the wait was worth it. I think it will be. Yeah, absolutely. So, guys, like usual, if you hear this sound, please check out your iOS device for a link to an article, video, or image to enhance your listening experience. All right, Mark, let's get right to it and talk to Jerry about The Amazing Spider-Man 2. Okay, this is Amazing Spider Talk. Uh, I'm Mark Janakio, and I'm here with Dan Gavazin, my co-host. And, of course, uh, as we said in the introduction, the great Jerry Conway. Say hi, Jerry. How you doing? Hi, guys. How are you all? Uh, we're, we're, we're great. We're really excited. We're going to be talking to Jerry about uh, the Amazing Spider-Man 2 film. I know this is uh, now a few weeks after it opened here in the States, but... Um, you know, that, that, that doesn't stop us from, from having a conversation with, you know, one of the great Spider-Man writers who, uh, whose stories had uh, some pretty significant influence on what happened in The Amazing Spider-Man 2. And, and with that said, we do want to just throw out there right away that uh, our conversation here will involve some spoilers. Uh, so if you haven't seen the movie yet or uh, you, you just don't want these things spoiled for you, you might want might to skip this episode. Otherwise, let's, let's, let's talk about it. Let's dissect it. Let's, let's say what we liked, we didn't like. Uh, I guess the, the, the big thing to start with, uh, you know, uh, Dan, Dan and I both ran reviews of the movie on our site, which uh, I'm sure Dan can throw the links in right now. Um, but, but Jerry, what, what, I mean, just overall impressions. What did you think of the film? Did you like it? Well, as I as I was saying a little a little a little earlier off air, the, for me it's kind of a, a difficult uh, difficult to, to separate out my personal reactions from my fan reactions, from my reactions as a writer uh, whose story was somewhat adapted to the to the piece. Uh, you know, I have a kind of a vested interest in enjoying it because uh, they are adapting uh, elements of uh, Spider-Man, you know, Amazing Spider-Man one twenty one. Uh, with the death of Gwen Stacy. So to the extent that, you know, I'm kind of closely involved with that story, uh, I'm predisposed to look on it fondly. And I think that they handled the death of Gwen very, very well. Uh, my 
overall reaction to the piece is that it sort of reflects the problems that are, are, are kind of inherent in doing uh, these big budget uh, single movie adaptations of, uh, you know, serial comic book stories. Uh, when you're doing a serial comic book story, you have month to month to month in which you can develop characters and storylines and premises and additional villains and all of that. And you have a certain amount of breathing space to work that stuff out. But in a film, you're basically trying to cram, you know, two or three years worth of story into two hours. And it's kind of, I think it's almost inherent in, in that situation that it's going to err on one side or the other being either too much or too little or not in depth enough or you know too over or overly in depth yeah i mean when i when i hear you say that jerry i mean it almost makes you wonder i mean are are comic books maybe a better you know better adaptation for for like television rather than film you know i think i think there's an argument to be made for that i mean i i i certainly think uh, you could look at uh, uh, a show like Arrow, for example, which is doing a wonderful job of uh, replicating the experience of, of reading a monthly comic. Uh, you know, every every week there's you know another plot point that moves forward, another character beat that develops. Uh, there are callbacks to previous uh, story elements. Uh, there's you know reversals, change-ups, and that's really what a monthly comic you know, can offer you. Um, and that's what, what, uh, what Marvel did, you know, was, was bring in the idea of continuity and, and storytelling that, that lasts for more than one individual episode. Uh, movies have to be kind of self-contained. And, and even if there's a callback to a previous film, it can't be that deeply tied to it because there's always the chance that, you know, the, the viewer who's gone to the theater this year, you know, didn't go to the theater three years ago, you know, when the first movie came out. So you're, you're kind of constrained in how much you can do. Jerry, uh, I'm curious what, what you did. You, if you felt this way about the previous Spider-Man films, the, la, the old trilogy. Well, I think the first the, the old trilogy, there, there's much more of a standalone quality to that trilogy when you look at it. Uh, the the even though there's there's clearly a tie-in between the first and second and third movies, you could watch any one of those movies and not need to have seen the previous films, right? I mean, yeah. there, there's there's uh, certain certain themes you know that cross over, but there's no, with the exception of the Harry Osborn link that that plays out by the third film, there's no real strong. Uh, callbacks, but in uh, Amazing Spider-Man and Amazing Spider-Man Two, they're they're really trying to tie in the whole uh, uh, mystery of Peter Parker's uh, parents. Uh, you know what what his background is. You know how that affects Oz, Oscorp. You know, and all of, all of those elements that that require uh, uh, the, the films to be thought of as sequential. And that's kind of it's kind of a problem when you've got two years or two and a half years between the movies. Uh, it just seems to me. I mean, you know, obviously you can do this. I mean, this, the, uh, the the Lord of the Rings trilogy did it brilliantly, uh, but they had three and a half hours and, and a and a single large novel that they were adapting over three films. So you know, yeah. it's yeah. 
I mean, I think I, I think in general, I mean, you know, Marvel Studios when they started this whole, you know, connected universe with with Iron Man. I mean, you know, yeah, they 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 revolutionize things, but it seems like now all these other studios are playing catch up to this model. Right. And I, and I think it's right. hurting. I think it is hurting. The, the the you know we're seeing this with DC right now with. You know, we have Man of Steel, and then we're going to have Batman versus Superman, which is really sounds like it's going to be a a, a test pilot for the Justice League. I mean, they right. they, they, they want to cram so much into that. And I, I there were parts during Amazing Spider-Man Two where I just felt like I don't know that they were trying to just throw all these random things and references at me because it was like this doesn't matter now, but it will at some point. You know, like you know, let's right. let's let's show Doc Ock's arms and the vulture wings and Alistair Smythe and F- Felicia Hardy and all these things where it's like you know within this universe they really didn't mean anything on their own, but it's because right. they're going to. And I don't know. And what are yeah, they going to? What are they going to do with the Doc Ock arms? Like, hand it to some random stranger and be like, "You're Doctor Octopus." <laughs> yeah, it's it's sort. Of, how do you get there? For, yeah, is is does that? It sort of vitiates, you know, the the, the essence of that character. You're sort of uh, coming down on the characters from. A, you're creating them for your purposes rather than letting them grow organically from their own purposes. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I, it's hard to criticize them because. They're, they are clearly trying to do uh, an interesting story. You know, they're trying to trying to create a rich environment. Uh, it may be that they're that they're trying to do something that that doesn't really work for the film medium, except for the way that Marvel does it. And and what's fascinating about the way Marvel has done it is that each of Marvel's films, even though they are all interconnected, are really standalone movies. You know, you you do not even even with the Iron Man trilogy, they all reflect on each other. But you don't have the sense that, uh, with the exception of Iron Man two, that 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 it's all about setup. You know, and it's all about uh, uh, connecting the dots. Uh, and that's we all generally agree is sort of like the weakest one of the of the uh, uh, the whole Marvel Cinematic Universe is that Iron Man two, where they were doing all that heavy lifting for setting up Shield and setting up. You know what was going to happen in Captain America, and what was going to happen in, you know, future Marvel movies, and Nick Fury is doing this, and you know, and it felt unwieldy as a result. Was any of it uh, even necessary? <laughs> it's a good question. You know, I mean, it's it's maybe it is, maybe it isn't. I mean, the problem is now Marvel's done it. So, uh, you, you, Marvel, the, the Marvel Studios is run by such such intuitively brilliant guys <laughs> that they that. It's 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 sort of like when when Lucas changed everything up with the original Star Wars trilogy, everyone tried to figure out what it was he had done, uh, so that they could emulate it. But you know they would pick elements that may or may not have been uh, crucial to the success of the trilogy, right? They would just pick things that seemed to them like that were re- replicable. So okay, he did this, we can do that too. Um, maybe with maybe. What's making the Marvel movies work is are the elements that they can't replicate, uh, which uh, or or which they can't replicate easily, which is you know the 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 performances, the the writing, the uh, the direction, you know the the production values, the thinking that goes on behind it, and they're instead they're thinking well what makes this work is you know all these little plot elements that will that will, that can be uh, seeded in so that we can play them off in a later story and and so on. That might be a misinterpretation of what actually makes the Marvel movies work, um, but you know, 
it's a different it's it's a really weird situation because you've got Marvel Studios which ostensibly is a is a movie studio but it's sort of being run like a comic book company mm. and then you've got Warner Brothers which is clearly a movie studio and it's trying to replicate the success of a comic book company by doing you know by using movie studio techniques and the same with Sony and the same with uh, Fox uh, and with varying levels of success but Marvel is sort of sui generis you know they're sort of a, a, a different beast entirely and I, I don't know if you can really replicate it um, yeah no I, I, I know exactly what you're talking about I mean I think it's I think Dan and I both kind of just talked about this this general issue in connection to uh, Amazing Spider-Man 2. I, I did want to ask you, you know, you had mentioned earlier about, you know, kind of the difficult position you're in as as a writer. So, I mean, when you, when you see these movies and, you know, obviously use the Spider-Man 2 as, your, as an example if you can, but um, do you like, as a writer, do you like seeing them closely adapt the source material or do you, do you want to see some director and screenwriter kind of take new chances and do different things with the characters? Well, probably both. You know, I mean, uh, it's, it's always fun when, when, when something that you love uh, or a story that you, you're fond of is adapted. But, I, I, but it's also great when they come up with their own, uh, own ideas. I mean, you look at X-Men, uh, the, the first X-Men movie, that was an original story. Mm. Uh, and it was very, very effective. Because they were able to boil down the essence of the the X Men uh, mythology into a into a nicely uh, 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 a nice metaphor for you know outsider status and, and oppression and so on, so that was a that was a good example of an of an adaptation that created a new story, and then you look at X Men Days of Future Past, which is an adaptation of a, of an existing story, and it's a very in my view a very effective adaptation. So you can do both. You know, you can you can go both in both directions. Uh, same with the Marvel movies. You know, they they, they uh, Captain America: Winter Soldier is a kind of an adaptation of the Rube Baker, you know, Winter Soldier run. Uh, but you could look at the uh, the Avengers movie, and that's a, that's a completely new story. So you can have it both ways. You know, I mean, it's not one or the other. Uh, I think. The bigger issue for me is do, do they do it well? Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. It's like that's where I would that's where I would be if it, if if they take an adaptation and they do it poorly, then of course it's not only just a bad story; it's also a a, 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 a dark mark on a on a happy memory, you know, of a, of a good story. Yeah. Um, so that that's kind of where you know you might want to be careful about it, adapting a specific fan favorite or our beloved story well the, well the thing that's kind of stuck me with these mark webb movies is that um well i guess when you look at it and you boil it down they 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 do reference the comics a lot but like the one thing that seems to be glaringly not there is the uncle ben stuff and as you know you worked on spider-man for years i mean do you think am, am i overvaluing uncle ben's role in in, in oh, this God, character no. I mean, no. yeah, <laughs> his his guilt, you know, I mean, it, it, the whole with great power comes great responsibility is the core element of, of his character. And it's it's what makes his flippancy and and his uh, his charm uh, what, what gives it, you know, the 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 moral 
weight, you know, that it, that it has, because you because you know that that's just part of the mask, you know, that's uh, a part of that that yeah he kids him he he says I'm the friendly neighborhood Spider-Man, you know, I'm, he, he's he's uh, makes a lot of jokes, he's he's playful, he's fun. But at heart, this is a guy who knows that he's got a responsibility. And there was in the in the um, uh, original trilogy, there was that great moment, you know, where uh, Tobey Maguire, uh, uh, Peter Parker, is fighting Doctor Octopus, and and the the train is going to go off the rails, uh, impossibly, because I don't know where where you would build a train line that would actually end up you know, <laughs> dead dead ending in midair. But you know, let's let's give them that. <laughs> you know? But there's this, this really wonderful moment you know, where he's like clearly putting his life, you know, totally on the line just to save everybody, you know, because he could have just jumped off the jumped off the train. Right. You know, he could have he could have saved himself without a problem. But he's he's really showing that responsibility, that sense of responsibility to other people. Uh, and I don't think there's been a moment that's quite like that in the in the Mark Webb movies. And, and that's not saying that they that they that he hasn't tried to uh, uh, to do similar things, but there is no, there isn't that sense that Peter will put everybody else over himself. You know, uh, that almost almost by definition, they they kind of set themselves up to negate that by uh, the way that they uh, have Peter haunted by the memory of Captain Stacy and his promise to him not to involve Gwen. And, uh, you know, he ends up involving her anyway, and then she ends up dying, which is very tragic. But, of course, if Peter was dealing with uh, dealing with the, the whole with great responsibility uh, ethos, he could not have brought her into it. You know, it's like he would he would have he would have done everything in his power to keep her from getting into it. And then the, the tragedy would have been that it didn't matter that he tried everything in his power to keep her in, uh, keep her out of it. Um, so in a way they've sort of lost that, uh, that aspect of his, of his mission. It's interesting uh, that you say that because I look at the first amazing Spider-Man movie and the first Spider-Man movie and they're so essentially this, like the same thing. They're very similar, but the ending takes a decisively different thing. The very last scene of both movies is, you know, Peter with Aunt May and they're, you know, and they're talking about responsibility. And in, the, in Spider-Man, he rejects Mary Jane and says, I can't be with you. And at the end of in The Amazing Spider-Man, he says, you know, the best promises are the ones you can't keep. And, uh, and it's, it's two very different ethoses. And I think yeah. that's really an interesting choice that they would choose to go so dramatically different. Well, I guess th- this is part of the problem with a reboot as close to the previous uh uh, trilogy is that they 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 felt that they had to redefine the character to some degree, so that there would be a valid reason, you know, creatively to do a reboot, uh, and so that's I guess the choice they made to uh, for, for redefinition. You know, is that we're what we're seeing. My guess is that what we're what they're trying to do is is play out the the great power, great responsibility uh, uh, story. In this trilogy, by showing the consequences, you know, of, of acting irresponsibly, uh, or or with or with less resp- sense of responsibility, so that maybe by the end of Spider-Man, Amazing Spider-Man three, you know, he's got he's got a similar ethos as he did 
with the death of Uncle Ben. It's, you know, it's, it's easy for us to second guess what they're thinking. I don't know what they're thinking, but uh, it's, they're, they're clearly trying a different path. So. And yet, and yet they, they, they're doing a different path and yet the, 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 the stuff they did with Gwen, let's just get, let's talk Gwen. Cause we, we, you know, the Gwen stuff obviously seems to be the, the most controversial, um, plot twist that came out of the movie. Sure. I mean, you know, when, when, when we had John Superior Spire talk earlier this year, you talked about how, um, how, you know, you were the, you were the most hated man in comics for years, <laughs> but, but, you know, Mark, you know, it looked like Mark Webb was probably going to outdo you for, for cinema by killing off Emma Stone because of how good she was. Now she was just as good in this movie. And it's like, why would you kill her? Right. <laughs> I mean, you know what, why, why would they kill her just, just to, to do the story? I mean, like, what, what did you think of that? Did you, did you think well, maybe not, you know, <laughs> I, I guess the, the, the problem is that, that, the character of Gwen Stacy, in terms of the, in the context of Spider-Man, only now has any relevance in the fact that she died. Mm. Uh, because, you know, you take how long she was a, a member of uh, Peter's supporting cast, uh, in terms of the 50-year history of Spider-Man, she was a member of that supporting cast for about six, seven years. So she's been around for about one-tenth the time that Spider-Man is around. So the question is, what is she most known for? She's known for dying. <laughs> so if you're going to bring her into the series, uh, you should bring her. You're basically going to be telling that story. The the weird thing that happens, though, of course, and this is where casting and and uh, performances change what what your intentions are, uh, and it's why television is sometimes so strange. You know, it's like why why uh, the character of Ben in uh, Lost became such a major character. He was originally supposed to only be in this show for three episodes, but the actor was so great. Uh, you know, Michael F- uh, Emerson w- uh, uh, was so great that they ended up developing that character into a linchpin for the storyline. Well, in a similar way, I'm sure that they 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 were very pleased to cast Emma Stone in this film, uh, and. They knew they were going to get a good performance from her. I mean, in the first the first Spider-Man movie, but I don't think they expected that the chemistry between Emma Stone and, and uh, Andrew Garfield would would be so intense and so great that it fundamentally changes how that character is perceived uh, by the audience. You know, it's like, and, and maybe this is why they wrote. Wrote the Shailene Woodley uh, uh, Mary Jane out of the out of the uh, the, the movie uh, because she couldn't compete, you know, on screen with the chemistry that was going on between uh, uh, Emma Stone and, and Andrew Garfield. But here's the problem: Gwen Stacy only exists in the Spider-Man universe because of those stories. Uh, I mean, her only value in the Spider-Man universe now is that she died. So if you cast a Gwen Stacy in your movie, that's what you're going to have to do with her. But then you end up creating such a beloved character because of the casting and the chemistry and so on that it throws the weight of the story all the way off balance to to a degree. Uh, And I don't know what you do with that. I mean, it's like, yeah, everybody loved Gwen Stacy back in 1972, but she wasn't. There was also Mary Jane. You know, yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. it's not like there wasn't an alternative because there was. And we, we we have to remember that Mary Jane was got as almost as much play as as Gwen did. Uh, 
so while it was horribly traumatized, tra traumatizing at the time, there was still a potential for hopefulness and for, you know, the idea that life will go on and all the rest. At the end of this movie, there's no real sense that Peter's life can ever be re re put back together, regardless of of whatever upbeat ending they 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 uh, attack on. There's no resolution to his emotional crisis because, you know, the, the one woman that he's ever loved in his entire life and never has any hope to love is now gone. Uh, it's kind of hard to know where you go from there. You know? It's like, yeah. Uh, and that's because they cast such a wonderful actress who had such charisma uh, and developed such chemistry with their with their star. Uh, it would be like the Eva, the Eva Green character in Casino Royale being in two movies. Right. Mm -hmm. And if the chemistry between her and Daniel Craig had been as intense as the chemistry between uh, uh, Emma Stone and uh, uh, Andrew Garfield. And then you'd killed off Eva Green at the end of, this, of, of Quantum of Solace, let's say. <laughs> you know, suddenly now you've got a whole weird situation. You know, it's like uh, maybe they should have just killed her off in the first movie. I don't know. I don't know. I don't. I, I think they've created a situation for themselves out of the best of intentions that's going to be kind of hard to uh, to resolve. What did you think of the portrayal of that moment? Oh, I thought it was very well done. I I, I, I thought they got it, you know. But again, it's contextual, you know. Uh, you're seeing that moment cut off from all the context of the original storyline. So what in the original storyline is, is an act of vengeance and hatred on the part of uh, the Green Goblin against, you know, his worst enemy uh, becomes a caprice, you know, and an accident in, uh, in this movie. Because we don't really know what is motivating Harry Osborne to to do what he's doing uh, with regard to Gwen. I mean, why is he doing that uh, other than just because he's being spiteful? We we don't really know. Uh, so it's a difficult situation. I mean, it's I don't know. I mean, I don't honestly know what these guys could have done differently, given that they set themselves these parameters. Uh, it's just. But at least they gave you the snap. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they did do that. And I, I got to tell you, it sent chills down my spine. It, it did. It. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I saw it at the premiere, as I say, and with an audience where at least uh, I said I would guess at least a third of the people didn't know it was coming. And the shocks and the horror, you know, was pretty intense. People crying out, oh, my God, no. You know. Uh, so that yeah. was... I would say the, the the crowd I was with definitely react like it was like, oh, my gosh. You know what I mean? Like, what, yeah. like, like, and of course, yeah. like, I'm, I'm like, I'm like, I'm kind of like, wait for it. Wait for it. Right. They're expecting a rescue. Yeah. <laughs> my girlfriend will hate me saying this, but she was just bawling like an idiot, even though she was knew it was coming. Yeah. <laughs> Well, my daughter, who I saw, I saw it with, you know, uh, my, my, my 18 year old daughter who knows the story, I, even though she never read the comic, she knows she knew it was coming. And when it happened, you know, after she turned to me and she said, Dad, you suck. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
Uh, but, but like you said, you're not you're not the villain anymore. <laughs> maybe in his family he is. <laughs> well, uh, you know, these stories are they, they they exist now in the universe, and and uh, uh, we. Even even in in those days, I wasn't the sole creator of that story. I, I had a lot of uh, a, a lot of help from my collaborators. Uh, so, yeah, but it's 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 funny. I mean, you know, I definitely thought the moment was well done, and 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 but like in you know thinking about it after the fact, you know, like it really puts the the franchise in a bind because you know Amazon was so good. It's like. How are they going to follow up on that? I mean, you know, you, you when you wrote the comics in the in the 70s, you at least had the sense to have that scene at the end of Amazing Spider-Man 122 with with, you know, reminding us that, well, right. there's still MJ and she's she's she still can be there for Peter. She can help him right. heal. And, you know, I'm assuming Spider-Man 3, Amazing Spider-Man 3 is going to somehow tie into MJ. And it's like it's going to be, you know. Out of nowhere and fresh. I mean, is the are the audience going to reject her? I mean, you know what I mean. Like it's it's hard. It really is. It, you know, one thing I heard as a rumor is that Emma Stone is signed for three films. Hmm. So the question is, are they going to are they going to go the full Monty? <laughs> <laughs> are, are we going to have the clone saga? Uh, you, you know, is it is it are they going to bring her back as a clone? Uh, oh, which God, yeah. <laughs> uh, I have mixed feelings about that because actually I think in certain sense that could actually help provide some closure, uh, which you don't really get with the second film. You know, we have this traumatic event and then five minutes later, you know, uh, after, you know, some overlapping uh, dissolves of Peter at at her gravesite, you know, he's back, uh, you know, making quips and and fighting bad guys. What did you Uh, think of that moment, by the way? Which the, one? the little the little kid moments. Well, I thought it was cute. You know, I mean, I thought I thought it was it was a nice way to sort of bring us back up a little bit from the, from the darkness. Uh, but it, there's a lot of question begging at the end of this. You know, I mean, there's there's the fact that suddenly Aunt May apparently knows that Peter is Spider Man and she's okay with that. Uh, you know, Spider Man has been out out and and, and not around and. People are not questioning that, you know, and the, it's it's like it's just strange. I mean, it's, it felt like a very, very rushed sort of ending. Um, and I, I was kind of concerned about it. But if they do do if they are thinking of this in trilogy terms and they are thinking, well, you know, we're going to answer some of these emotional issues in the third movie, then that kind of makes sense. I mean, it's sort of like when you look at the the original Lord of the Rings trilogy, uh, uh you know, you've got your your the end of the first movie, uh, where uh, Bilbo and and Sam are heading off on their own. You know, uh, that can be a kind of a bleak ending, but they manage to sort of give it kind of an upbeat sort of sort of energy by uh, showing their camaraderie and their their friend their friendship and how important that is to them and so on. So the, there there's a way in which you take this bleak. Everything is breaking apart. Uh, you know, there's there's no really no hope, which is how the how the how you read that volume when you're reading the, the reading the 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 the, the, the original uh, novel. That's kind of how the breaking of the fellowship ends. Uh, but in order for you to leave the movie not feeling like you need to like slit your wrists, they give you kind of an upbeat 
uh, well, you know, we're, we're, you and I are together and that's all that really matters. And we're, we'll make, we'll make it through Sam. I depend upon you, you know, yay. <laughs> Everything is good. <laughs> so in a way we defer the, the question of their, their tribulations and their sense of being separated and alone to the second film, you know? Uh, and in this way, maybe what they're trying to do is yes, Peter, Spider-Man is back, you know, he's acting, uh, he's 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 uh, out there. He's having fun. It's going to be a big fight, and we're just deferring dealing with the the loss and the the grief to the third film, uh, where we'll see that play out possibly with the Clone Saga, which could give you the could give you the closure you need, uh, and resolve that kind of emotional arc. So that's kind of where it's kind of where I. If I were trying to be doing this, you know, and I was sort of in this position, that would be kind of what I'd be thinking about. Uh, and we'll see how they how they play it out. Because they can't just let it hang like this. You know, they can't just ignore that, that death. But they also can't let it be hanging over their heads in an unresolved sort of way uh, and just bring in a new girl. You know, so there has to be some kind of resolution to it that involves Emma in some way. And the Clone Saga could kind of possibly do that. Yeah. So hmm. we'll, we'll add Clone Saga on top of Sinister Six and you got a packed movie. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think Sinister Six is going to end up being a separate deal. You know, that's that's what we've all heard. Right. Is that, yeah, uh, yeah. So we'll we'll see how they they play that. I don't really understand that. I have to admit, Sony's plans for all this are is bewildering to me. <laughs> I honestly, I don't see how you get from here to there. Well, to right there. now they're saying that the Sinister Six movie is like about redemption for those characters trying to do good things, and like, what? So that means that they're going <laughs> to have a Sinister Six storyline where they're bad, and then in the next movie or something, and then so on and so forth. Who knows? I like the director, but what is it going to be? Yeah, so I, I don't. It doesn't feel like there's an or, an organic story there, you know. Uh, but I don't, I don't know. I mean, there are a lot of creative, inte- intelligent people there, so maybe they, maybe they can figure it out. Uh, yeah. Sony's big issue, I think, is that they want to have a, a multi-film franchise, and they've basically got a, a solo character at the core of it, uh, and it's going to be hard to build a multi multi-film franchise out of that. Yeah, I mean, unless they do like a black cat movie or so, I, I don't know. And which I don't know if that would sell tickets, but yeah, it's <laughs> hard to know. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's funny what you just said in terms of it not being, you know, not reaching that point organically, because I think if I had like one um, overarching criticism of the amazing Spider-Man two was that, you know, there were certainly a lot of moments that I enjoyed, but the, nothing just, nothing felt cohesive. Um, you know what I'm, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's just, you know, like, oh, you know, that's, that's a fun scene. Oh, 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 it's good seeing him out with the people and, you know, with the kid and, and some of the electro stuff I thought in the beginning was good in Times Square. And, uh, you know, the rhino stuff was a little over the top, but it, it was fun. I mean, you know, I yeah. was, I was into it. The stuff with Gwen, all, all the scenes with, with, with him and Gwen, but like when you try to stream it all together, like it just, you know, it felt like a pinball. Right. You know, and, and all of a sudden he's now investigating his father's death for no inexplicable reason. Right, right, right. Well, I guess the problem is, you know, you have to ask yourself, what is what is the the story? You know, what what's 
what's the, what ties these elements all together? And, uh, you know, something like, uh, I mean, th this is a bit spoilery, you know, but let's talk about X-Men uh, uh, Future Days of Future Past as an example. Uh, that's a, that's that's a story that you can you kind of can boil the, the the theme of it down to a to a to uh, a remark you know that that Xavier makes in the course of the thing, which is that he, you know even if someone stumbles, it doesn't mean you know that they're irredeemable. That you, we can make mistakes, we can fail, but we can try to find our way back. So there is a theme you know that that connects all of the elements of that story. Uh, every every character's actions. Is about correcting a mistake in some degree or another. Every almost every scene in that movie is about correcting a mistake and trying to redeem yourself in some way. Uh, and so thematically, the movie all holds together, even though it's got all these different elements and all these different characters playing playing off of it. It still holds together because you have a strong central theme. I don't know what the strong central theme of Amazing Spider-Man Two is, you know. Uh, is it irresponsibility leads to death? Well, okay, that could be a that that could be a, a strong central theme. But how does Electro fit into that? What's how does Electro's story lead us to irresponsibility leads to death? You know, uh, how does how does Harry Osborn's story lead us into that? Uh, you know, it, 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 they don't hold together, and that's where I think we have the why it feels like a pinball machine to you. Is that there? There isn't a strong central thematic uh, 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 scaffolding, you know, that they can, that all these stories sort of like connect to. Uh, in X Men: Days of Future Past, there is a strong central thematic uh, scaffolding, and then you can do all the events and incidents around that, uh, and they can all seem different, but they're all really about the same thing. And that's the brilliance of that film. And I guess with Amazing Spider-Man 2, it's, it's like I don't know what the, the strong central scaffolding is. And I don't think they kind of knew either, to be yeah. honest. <laughs> what, well, I, sorry, you go, Dan. One of the questions that I keep coming back to as I think more and more about this franchise and, and, and this movie in particular is how far can a character be stretched until it's no longer that character? Like – is Spider-Man a power set or is it, a, you know, a, a person, an idea, you know, a, a moral code? And, you know, I, I look at these movies and, you know, I look at Harry Osborn and Peter Parker. Both of them are fated to become the people that they are. Like Harry has a genetic disease and Peter Parker has been, you know, his fa father used his DNA to create the spiders, you know, and so he's the only one. And it takes that element of like chance and risk and and their own character choices that they become right. these characters. Like, are they still Spider Man and the Green Goblin at this point? Hard to say. I mean, one one of the essences of Spider Man, of course, is that it, I mean, it goes back to that cliched saying, you know, with great power comes great responsibility. I mean, it's it, in life, stuff happens. And it's random, and it's and it's it's kind of you know we, we as human beings are always trying to find patterns, but for the most part it's random. What matters is what you choose to do, the choices you make, uh, and it doesn't seem like Peter has made very many good choices <laughs> in these films. Uh, and I think 
what always attracted to me to Spider-Man as a character was that he was it was about making good choices or about you know putting others first or uh, you know doing do, giving the last measure of his of his effort you know to to save someone. Uh, you don't really get that sense in these films. So I don't know that I don't know that 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 I'm trying to be political about this because you know <laughs> I, I, I like these guys and and they they were very nice to me, but I don't know that anybody has really raised these questions in the stories yet. Uh, I don't know that that with great power comes great responsibility in these in these two movies. Uh, I I keep thinking in my head. There's this one of my favorite scenes in any Spider-Man story was was from the Master Planner stories from like the the early uh, what, issues thirty you know thirty one or something like that of the original Amazing Spider-Man back in sixty five or something like that uh, and it's the it's it's where Peter Park where, where Spider-Man uh, ha, is trying to get this medicine for Aunt May he's buried under a ton of ton of uh, debris. Uh, he's ready to give up, you know, because he can't, can't, can't do anymore. And yet he has to keep pushing, you know, he has to keep lifting himself up to try to, to save his aunt, you know, to save because with great power comes great responsibility. And that's what drives him. That's what's his core. Whether he's got powers, whether he can climb on walls, whether he can, you know, shoot webbing out of his hands or out of a, out of a, uh, a web shooter, the real issue is what's his what's his moral code, his emotional core, and that speaks to that 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 sequence speaks to that emotional core, uh, and we haven't had that in these two movies yet. We haven't had that moment where he puts it all on the line just because that's who he is, you know. So yeah, no, I <laughs> that's. That is my issue. <laughs> I mean, yeah. you know, I, it's I want I do want to like these movies a lot, and and you know, I always go back to the first two Raimi movies, and I know they had their flaws, and 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 sure. and there are some things that I think these web movies do better than the Raimi movies, but I felt like you know, specifically the first two. I mean, that they were more rooted in in you know that idea that my, like like i felt like they got the core of the character better i mean right. you know they're not quippy they don't have the jokes like these movies do and like i've i've had you know interesting debates with people like oh how could you like those Raimi movies there's so you know there's no humor in them and it's like yeah but i mean first of all i think that's an exaggeration but also i mean spider-man 2 is hilarious yeah i mean yeah, there's a lot of humor i, I think they're they're pretty fun i mean it, Here's a here. Maybe this is where the two character, where the two directors have different strengths. I mean, Webb is really good. I mean, really, really good at directing actors and directing uh, character moments. You know, just just nice little interplays between performers. Uh, he's also pretty darn good at at directing big action set pieces. So they're pretty well well directed. Uh, but I don't think he really cares that much about mythology. Yeah. And when when I mean when I say mythology, I mean the big picture. You know, the 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 what's what's the core uh, mythological uh, uh, message of a given scene. And maybe that's where the difference is because Raimi is all about mythology. I mean, he's in almost everything he's done, it's been about the big image, the core image, uh, uh, the core emotional moment. 
you know, you can even take his, his non superhero things. You know, he wrote a, did a baseball movie, you know, you can't get more mythological than baseball movies, <laughs> you know, because there's really nothing else there except the mythology, you know, you're talking uh, to the right crowd here. <laughs> yeah. But you know, so, so I think that's maybe that's where why Marvel studios also works well is because they're very mythology based in their, in their versions of the characters. They sort of drill down to what's the core heart, uh, element of, of each of these characters that they're presenting to us. And that's what they're addressing. You know, so you have Thor, the noble son, you know, who's struggles, uh, to, uh, overcome his arrogance, you know, and, and, and learn humility. Uh, that's a core moral lesson, you know, mm -hmm. that we all need to at some point or other, you know, uh, look at, uh, Captain America, you know, the, the, the honorable soldier, you know, who's, uh, trying to hold, hold on to a to a to a standard of uh, of behavior that you know may be outdated. Uh, that's again, you know, a really core mythology. Uh, you know, Tony Stark. You know, the, the the broken man inside the you know the the mask. You know, the armor. Uh, I mean, it's these are core perfect myths. And Peter Parker has a core mythology, but we don't we don't see it in these movies. And I think that may be the weakness, you know, if there, if there is one. Definitely. Well, I mean, and, and just kind of to, to go back about the, the whole thing with character moments, I mean, it, it, outside of the Andrew Garfield, Emma Stone stuff, I mean, there was, I also felt that the, the web movies didn't always use all their assets at their disposal. Like, I mean, there was that one scene in Spider-Man, it's amazing Spider-Man two with, with, uh, Peter and Aunt May, where she's, you know, basically telling him to stop looking for his father, you know, you're my son. And I thought that was a really powerfully done scene. But then that, that's kind of what we get of Aunt May, you know, like there's like, and, yeah. and, and you know, I, I liked the stuff in the beginning with Peter and Harry when they're kind of out walking the, you know, the, the waterfront and just talking and, and like, you know, you got that sense of them actually being friends, which mm -hmm. is sometimes, I mean, not even there in the comics sometimes it's like always kind of this like well they're friends you know like trust right. us <laughs> yeah trust us we don't know why they're friends they have nothing um, in common and they don't even yeah they, they don't hang out but, but then yeah. but then you know when 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 it, when the movie tries to go bigger and and it loses those character moments it kind of you know like the, those 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 intimate moments get lost in the shuffle and then you, you kind of going back saying no I, I think it's better with those moments with the little moments you know and i don't know how you do a superhero movie of, with little moments but i mean it definitely seems to be where web strengths are i would yeah. say days of future past might be that movie there's tons of little moments in that thing mm -hmm. yeah well i was saying to a friend of mine today we were talking about uh, about big action budget movies, you know, and, and he was saying his problem with them is that, you know, there's never any moment where people just sit down and talk. And I said, well, you should see days of future past. Cause there's a lot of moments where people just sit down and talk and, and the, talk about, and yeah. they're great moments. They're really strong, powerful character moments that motivate action be, you know, into the next sequences. They're not just observational moments of, of character. They're motivating moments. You know, so what you I can do both. What I liked about that movie, too, is that the whole, uh, you know, conflict boils down to one person's interpretation of two different moralities. Uh, and it's so it's like got the weight of the world on this decision. 
but it's still so intimate and small. It don't, it feels mm-hmm. like the smallest and biggest consequence in a superhero movie ever. Yeah. No, it's really it's it's very well done. You know, very and it's so true to the to the myth to the to to the essence of the X-Men story, right? Which you go way back to X-Men number 1 and the contrast between Magneto's view of the world and Magneto's view of the world and Xavier's view of the world that Xavier wants to teach his students how to be basically good citizens, right? I mean, how to be, how to show humans that they don't have to be afraid of you. Uh, and Magneto's view is, yes, they should be afraid of us. Right. Uh, and, and he comes from fear. And Xavier comes from, you know, a need to, uh, to feel, you know, to connect. I mean, and you get why they both come from those places, and they're both valid places, and and it is, you know, and Raven is caught in between. You know, she's caught between these two, and it's and it's kind of miraculous because I don't think that that's where they thought they were going to go when they did the first movie, uh, and yet they managed to make it feel like. Uh, I mean, what, by, by the first movie, I mean uh, first, uh, class. first class. Yeah, um, you know, it's a, it's 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 a making it up as we go along situation where they actually drew on the characters and the situations that they'd set up and asked themselves the emotionally logical questions. You know, like what would happen if you're caught between these two people who are both very important to you, but two different, very different worldviews and you're forced to make a decision, you know, perhaps uh, that's who, the way to go. Oh, it should always go. You should always go that way. Yeah. From character, go from character. Uh, I think one one blog I was reading recently was saying, "How can you rescue the Spider-Man movies?" I don't think they need rescuing, but you know, if if they did make a point that that go smaller, and I would argue that yeah, you should definitely go smaller. I would love to see a, a Spider-Man movie with with uh, you know just Peter trying to to get through his week, you know, <laughs> you know, and having to deal with the consequences of being Spider-Man. You know, all the things that that stand brought to Marvel in the early, uh, in the early sixties were the, the idea that these are people, you know, these are people who, for whom the superpowers don't improve your life. They just complicate it. <laughs> uh, but they're fundamentally, you're still a person trying to get through your day. And I don't, I don't think we saw that necessarily too much. And, and that's where Spider-Man can do that. You know, Spider-Man more than any other character in the, in the, the pantheon, uh, is an ordinary guy in his outside outside the superhero world, you know. He's he's a kid, you know, or or a young adult who's just trying to figure out how to how to live his life. Uh, so that's a very that's a very relatable storyline, and you could do a really good, you know, small small story around that. And if you and have a big story on top of it, you know, you can certainly lay one on top of that. But that's the story you need to focus on. Is this kid trying to get through, trying to figure out how to live his life. Uh, and I don't think we really saw that in, in these yet. That doesn't mean they can't do it because they, they, these are smart guys and they can do it. Uh, and I know Webb wants to do it. You know, it's just a matter of whether they can uh, find a way on this third film to, to bring all those, those strands together. Well, I think that's a good 
stopping point. What about you, Dan? Yeah, yeah. I I completely agree. Too. Yeah. <laughs> okay, Otherwise, cool. this is going to become a big echo chamber of, uh, <laughs> yeah. I agree with you. Yes, I agree with you. Let's all agree that we agree. <laughs> to next time when we can agree again. <laughs> Um, I'll second that. Let's <laughs> vote. <laughs> well, uh, Jerry, thanks again for 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 joining us. And you know, I, I feel like, you know, I think we said this at the end of our last time we had you. On, you know, I know you're probably tired of talking about Gwen Stacy at this point, <laughs> but <laughs> but it was another round, and it was a fresh take of it. And and we appreciate you you you, you know you 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 lending your insights on the film with us, and and you know. As again, hopefully we can get you on next time to talk about non-Gwen affairs. There you go. <laughs> tarantula. Do, there we go. Tarantula. Yes, we always want to talk about tarantula. I like tarantula. <laughs> I do too. I, I, I think he's highly underrated. <laughs> anyway, but thank you, thank you for giving me the opportunity to shoot my mouth off once again. <laughs> I'm always happy to to talk. Obviously. Yeah, great. Well, we're happy to have you. Thank you. All right. Thanks again, Jerry, for joining us and talking about this movie again. We we apologize to the our, our fans out there for it being a couple of weeks after the fact, but you know I I hope having uh, a great writer and legend like Jerry Conway talking about this movie was was worth the wait for you. Yeah, I, I love talking movies with you guys. Uh, it was a lot of fun, and uh, I hope we can do it again. Maybe Amazing Spider-Man three. Yes, with. Someone who did the Sinister Stick? Is this is this how we're going to get Ditko back on? <laughs> yeah, yeah, maybe, maybe. After he heard our last uh, podcast talking about um, uh, Amazing Spider-Man Annual Number 1, he decided, now i got to go on this show, but not until the next movie. I like these guys. You see, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to end my, my decades of silence and talk to them. Yeah. So, Dan, where can you find our other podcasts? Well, you can find all of our new Amazing Spider Talk podcasts and old Superior Spider Talk podcasts at superiorspidertalk.com or find us on iTunes or Stitcher by searching for Amazing Spider Talk. And if you do, please leave us a rating and comment to let us know how we're doing and we'll read it on the air. If you have any opinions on the movie or any questions to us, you can email them to us at amazingspidertalk at gmail.com and we'll address and read them on the air. Yes, and be sure to check out both of our Facebook pages at facebook.com slash superior spider talk and facebook.com slash chasing amazing because they are great places to keep up with us in between shows. That's where we put up our articles and news and other uh, fun things, photos, all that good jazz that you put up on the old Facebook page. Yeah, I'll even put up some jazz music every now and again. Yes, jazz. Give it a boop. It's going to be like uh, Peter Parker and Raimi Spider-Man 3 in the jazz club, right? Yeah, jazz, man. Anyway, also, I think we just lost Mark there. <laughs> I started I started riffing like I'm in Raimi's Spider-Man 3. Anyway, don't forget, also check out our friendly neighborhood Spider-Talk members club uh, that helps support our show. You can donate and you can hear me scat some more or, or do disco dancing like emo Peter Parker. The world is your oyster. Just donate to the friendly neighborhood Spider-Talk. Look for the logo and icon on both of Dan and mine homepages and uh, it'll take you there. Man, Mark, I would pay to see you do some emo dancing. It's on. It's on. <laughs> for the next for the next person who donates a year's subscription, I will emo dance and put it on YouTube. <laughs> I I hope I hope someone takes you up on that offer. 
<laughs> anyway, uh, Dan, where can we find you on the internet that where you're not emo dancing? Well, you can find me on the internet searching for Mark's emo dance. <laughs> no, uh, you can find me on Twitter at, at Dan Gavazdin. Or follow all of my Spider-Man writing at SuperiorSpiderTalk.com. Or follow us on Twitter at, at SupSpiderTalk. And you can read all of my movie reviews at GrindMyReels.com. How about you, Mark? Yeah, well, you can find me at www.ChasingAmazingBlog.com. Or on Twitter at ChasingASMBlog. Uh, and then you can find some of my other comic book-related writing at Comics Should Be Good with my Gimmick or Good column. And at whatculture.com. Now, Mark, I know in these movies, we didn't actually hear the iconic phrase from Uncle Ben uh, related to his nephew, Peter. So maybe you could remind us of uh, what our uncle should probably be telling us. Yeah, well, first I need to find Uncle Ben's killer and then promptly forget that I'm looking for Uncle Ben's killer. (laughs) And then I also need to be reminded that, yes, with great podcast must also come amazing spider talk <laughs>